Welcome to the Capital Link Shipping Podcast Series. I'm Nicholas Bornolius, President of Capital Link. Our podcast series is a means to educate a broader audience on topics of critical importance to the shipping industry. As such, our podcasts aim to be informational and educational. And every week, we host an exclusive interview with a C-level executive and other major industry figures. I would like to thank IHS for sponsoring and conducting this podcast today. IHS Market, listed on NASDAQ under the symbol, ticker symbol INFO, is a world leader in critical information, analytics, and solutions for the major industries and markets that drive economies worldwide. The company delivers next-generation information, analytics, and solutions to customers in business, finance, and government, improving their operational efficiency, and providing deep insights that lead to well-informed, confident decisions. IHS Market has more than 50,000 business and government customers, including 80% of the Fortune Global 500 and the world's leading financial institutions. Headquartered in London, IHS Market is committed to sustainable, profitable growth. So we welcome now our featured speaker, uh, and Stephen Cooper, the CEO at Fourth Insurance, needs no introduction. Um, we're delighted to have him with us. And uh, interviewing Stephen is Nicola Good, the Executive Director of Journalism for Fairplay. So Stephen and Nicola, thank you very much for being with us. Today's podcast is on the topic of cyber preparedness, forging a financial response to 21st century piracy. Highly interesting topic. So, Nicola and Stephen, please go ahead. Great. Thank you, Nicholas, for that lovely introduction. Um, cybersecurity, it's definitely been one of the topics that's been dominating the agenda. And Stephen, thank you for joining the call today. Um, your company, Fourth Insurance, you are clearly approached by a number of companies for advice on cybersecurity, cyber risk mitigation. How has the volume and nature of inquiries changed in recent years? And what are the big issues facing companies? Well, we have found that uh, there's some predictability to the number of inquiries that we receive. And in the entire cyber area, it is very headline and event driven. So we know when there has been a breach or rumors of a breach, we will get calls from two groups of people those where we have uh, consulted on programs wanting to know how their programs would uh, respond if they were the victim of an event, and others who are considering coverages wanting to know if they were to proceed, how would they be covered for an event uh, as they've read about on the headlines. So in recent days, when we've heard about um, the uh, Facebook uh, incident or alleged incident and misuse of data, um, everyone is contemplating uh, what the liabilities will be, what the response will be, and how their programs would uh, uh, respond if they were uh, involved in it, which is what they're reading about. So we are uh, dealing with uh, business owners and decision makers who are significantly uh, reactionary as it comes to uh, cyber. So the, uh, the headlines are really going to determine uh, uh, when our phones ring, the number of calls, and the... Great. Thanks for that. Um, 
I mean, obviously, you say people are, are quite reactionary, and I mean, as we've, we've you know, cyber is very much a, a flavor of the month or flavor of recent years. Do you think that cyber, that, that top management is taking cybersecurity seriously enough? I mean, what decisions do they have to make in, in dealing with, with the, you know, this topic? We're seeing cyber being taken uh, seriously for a number of reasons. First, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the headlines and some uh, very uh, well-noted and reported incidents, such as the Maersk uh, incident, which uh, uh, resulted in losses uh, which are still being counted, but probably uh, in excess of, of 300 uh, uh, million. But we see that uh, regulators and trade associations uh, are doing some very effective harmonizing on guidelines and regulations. And we see owners taking these seriously. They want to be in compliance. It's good business. And today you cannot uh, operate effectively or respond to your customers unless you can make the statement that you have taken a uh, very responsible uh, attitude towards a good cyber hygiene. So uh, there is some uh, subtle coercion going on uh, with trade associations. We have regulatory and government organizations putting some teeth into those uh, types of regulations and good cooperation. So I would say it is ta being taken uh, seriously, uh, and uh, the insurance markets, for those who wish to uh, shift risk, are, are dealing with uh, uh, better levels and quantities of data in which to uh, price products and create contracts that can respond to what owners need. So uh, I think we're seeing a, a very positive response, uh, some of it uh, uh, on a voluntary basis, others uh, are viewing these uh, things uh, and responding towards mandatory conditions in the cyber area. So we think it's being taken uh, seriously, but there's nothing like a headline to make uh, people uh, uh, react with a, a bit more urgency. I mean, the one thing that always strikes me is how the risk of how the cyber risk is continuing to evolve. I mean, in terms of this, this changing nature. I mean, how can companies keep abreast of what's happening? And um, I mean, how important do you think it is for business leaders to understand the, the evolving nature of cybersecurity? I think it's essential. And one thing that we can see as an example of that is in those involved in global shipping that are public entities. We are seeing more often um, uh, cybersecurity and good cyber hygiene starting at the board level. And we can see this in public statements of uh, corporate governance, which are now including uh, very positive statements that cyber matters are going to be considered by the board. We see appointments to corporate boards of uh, uh, skilled and experienced data security experts such that at the board level we will see uh, reporting and monitoring of cyber hygiene and uh, this is something which is uh, relatively uh, new. So data security and good cyber hygiene uh, are now getting the attention of corporate boards in the public sector, and we're seeing a, a, a filtering down of these same sort of elevation of concern with cyber at the larger private companies. So we think this trend is, uh, is very positive, and we think that uh, soon it will not be optional for the public companies in the sector 
to have uh, at least one board member who is going to be the champion for good cyber hygiene. So uh, this trend is going to continue. Great. Thanks for that. I mean, as you know, Fair Play is a publication that's focused on, on, on ship owner and ship manager needs. And you've mentioned shipping, and I understand a third of your clients are from the maritime industry. I mean, how should shipping itself mitigate against cyber risk? I mean, should they be relying on landside insurance cover, or should they be focused on marine? Um, you have protection and um, indemnity cover. You've got hull and machinery, which covers for different risks. And obviously, you've got cargo cover. I mean, how should ship owners navigate, against, navigate um, cyber risk in this insurance environment? I think the best way is to take a, a holistic approach to uh, separate out the land-based exposures, which might be more traditional in terms of uh, uh, privacy breaches against uh, the uh, vessels themselves on the uh, hull and machinery side, is to uh, not look at them discreetly and say that one is more different than the others. Uh, while we have not progressed to the point where we have completely uh, unmanned navigation uh, on, uh, with our vessels, uh, I think we are you know, moving in that direction where more and more of the controls are land-based. So to separate the two, we think, is an error. Uh, we see uh, much interest coming from uh, vessel owners uh, coming to grips with the fact that their hull and machinery and war risk exposures may not uh, deal with uh, uh, cyber uh, uh, potential cyber losses. So they are coming to us and asking us for the best ways to uh, protect against the uh, uh, financial exposures there. But to separate out land-based and, and, and vessel-based, we don't think that that is uh, uh, the way to deal with it. And most of our clients in the industry as a whole are looking at their land-based uh, exposures together. So I think uh, uh, coverages, traditional coverages, liability packages that covered uh, land-based exposures are now being viewed from the standpoint of whether or not uh, cyber is included, and then looking at uh, hull and machinery to see if uh, uh, some of the exclusions, particularly the Institute Clause 380, can be uh, eliminated so that both land-based and vessel-based exposures uh, are, are being managed from a financial standpoint. Great, thanks. That's so you're calling for a sort of a collective approach. I mean, obviously you got you know you you know you got ship owners, but you've also got beneficial cargo owners. You've got non-vessel operating owners, and I mean the carriers themselves. I mean, how should they prepare for the possibility of a cyber breach to preserve business continuity? And I mean, and who should they look to for help in preserving business continuity if they are subject to a cyber breach or attack? We think the BCOs are going to be asking a lot of questions of the vessel owners, and the vessel owners, uh, in order to be uh, favored with, uh, uh, with, with business, are going to need to answer to the affirmative that they have identified their cyber exposures, they're dealing with them, and they have coverage not only for the vessels themselves and the land-based uh, uh, data security to go with that, but they're going to have to uh, show that they also have coverage for the business interruption risks, which are probably the greatest. And uh, it ex uh, everyone in the supply chain is exposed to this. But we think with the more questions that are raised by the BCOs, we think we'll see 
uh, better responses on the part of the vessel owners to make sure that not only are they covering the physical risks, but also uh, the uh, business interruption risks, which uh, affect everyone uh, in the supply chain. So uh, these questions are being raised with greater frequency, and we think that they're being responded to with uh, a greater level of responsibility than perhaps a couple of years ago. Excellent. You mentioned earlier the sort of the role of sort of trade associations in getting um, you know sort of business to respond to this. Do you think that governments and regulations should be doing more around cyber? Well, first of all, I, I applaud what the BIMCO and IMO have done, and they've cooperated, and they continue to revise their guidelines, and they continue to be responsive uh, to their members who are asking questions and seeking resources. And uh, there's a lot of money being uh, invested in this, and we think this is to the ultimate benefit of the entire uh, industry. As much as the business owners would say they'd like to see uh, a little bit less in the way of uh, regulation and a little bit less in the way of potential penalties, uh, we think there's a very positive aspect uh, to this. As we can see, our uh, uh, EU clients are responding to GDPR, uh, we would like to see some uh, uh, a continued growth in the uniformity of regulation, and we think some financial penalties for those who choose not to invest in uh, uh, good cyber hygiene uh, might be beneficial in, in bringing them around. I think one thing that we all have to cope with in the maritime trade and shipping is that uh, we are emerging from a period of very, very depressed rates when balance sheets have been challenged where there was overexpansion, where there was perhaps uh, more leverage than uh, could be sustained uh, during a time of uh, depressed rates. Cyber is not the first place uh, where you want to uh, uh, invest capital, but we think that it's going to have to have a place in every budget. And as there is a recovery, we'd hope to see more dollars uh, allocated uh, to uh, not only uh, uh, training, but also to maybe transferring risk so that uh, business interruption, given a cyber incident, can be better managed. I mean, you mentioned financial penalties. I mean, how would you see that working? I mean, for people not exercising good cyber hygiene? Well, we could see that uh, whether it's, uh, you know, new ballast water regulations, low sulfur fuel regulations, we think there has to be teeth in some regulations in order to uh, to get a, uh, uh, a more uniform uh, and all-encompassing response in people involved in the, in the maritime trades. There will have to be some penalties for those people who say that they uh, want to, uh, uh, you know, not invest in good training, not invest in having their crews aware and good of uh, the standards for good uh, cyber hygiene. We think that is ultimately going to work to the benefit of uh, uh, all involved in this business. So we would like to see uh, some regulation uh, similar to what we've seen in, uh, in GDPR. We have to respect the fact that uh, uh, data is highly valued uh, personal property and that if we're going to misuse the data of our, our uh, customers, uh, uh, that there must be some downside to that and we must do, uh, invest in keeping that information uh, secure and, and not uh, uh, treating it in a mindless way. At the same time, uh, we have an obligation to 
uh, our stakeholders, our shareholders, and our customers to make sure that the financial risks associated with a cyber event impacting our uh, vessels uh, has also been dealt with. While I would not suppose that we will have regulation mandating insurance, I certainly think that there should be some regulation uh, which would make it mandatory that uh, business owners know what the potential financial impacts would be and to make sure that they have allowed for that in their financial planning. I mean, in, in terms of just in terms of the impacts on shipping, I mean, obviously the North Petra attack on Maersk last um, June, July has been one of the most high-profile attacks so far. There's also been an attack on, on, on Clarkson's. I mean, I mean, obviously people learn from seeing it happen to other people. I mean, in terms of the companies that you've advised, do you know of any incidents which might make people's jaws hit the floor? Or, I mean, are there any, any accounts that you might be able to share with us where, you know, which could demonstrate to, to, to ship owners in particular why this is such a serious issue? Well, to protect the afflicted, I won't name the name of the... Uh a particular uh, uh, fleet manager, but I can share with you something which won't make the headlines, but it's nonetheless significant. Uh, it was a medium-sized manager that we served, and uh, it all started very uh, innocently when they were doing an upgrade of not only uh, some vessel-based uh, data uh, uh, computers, but also those that were land-based, and they offered uh, employees the opportunity to uh, purchase their uh, equipment, uh, the computers, which were last generation at a very, very nominal price. Employees appreciated it. The only condition was that all the machines had to be uh, scrubbed of data, at which point they would be turned over to the employees who wished to maintain uh, that equipment on a personal basis. So the process uh, happened. This went back almost a year. And uh, it was uh, very well appreciated by the employees who wound up with new laptops and desktops, except in the process there was one uh, errant machine. An employee during this process uh, had been terminated, and that machine was not collected. It, uh, it, it resided with the employee who went to work for a competitor. And in the process of working for that competitor, uh, the employee availed himself of some information on a potential customer of his new employer. Anyway, the, uh, uh, the potential customer learned that this adverse uh, information was obtained from this laptop, which uh, was never collected by the former employer uh, of, this, uh, of this person. Uh, and allegations were made not only against uh, the uh, uh, employee of the new firm, but also his previous employer, and we've got some triangulation of liability going on now. So a very innocent desire to provide some last-generation laptops to some employees uh, went awry, and some very uh, personal data was exposed. There will be liability. Insurance will come into play. This will never make a headline, but uh, it's very easy to imagine how um, uh, this good deed had some punishment and... Uh, Again, this was not a, uh, a political rogue trying to put some pain on a shipper. This was merely a, a, an employee using information he should not have had access to because his former employer made his laptop available to him. So uh, the uh, costs here would be well up into the six figures, perhaps seven. 
uh, all as a result of a, uh, a laptop valued at just a uh, uh, hundred or so euros, uh, which was being disposed of. So here's a very simple one, which turned out to be somewhat complicated. So a very well-intentioned intention gesture, just going horribly wrong and coming, you know, coming with a considerable bill. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, most people point to humans being the weakest element in, in, in terms of cybersecurity. I mean, Fair Play, in association with BIMCO, the Shipowner Association, has been running an annual maritime cybersecurity survey. And in last, in last year's survey, 47% of, of respondents pointed to people being the absolute biggest weakness. Um, you, you talked about um, training. I mean, sometimes the messages aren't always going through or getting through from top management to, to, to crew. I mean, any views on training and whether this should be an internal or an external function or perhaps a, com a combination? And also, what companies need to do when it comes to choosing training providers? What I'd like to see when it comes to training providers is perhaps um, some some certification. Uh, I would tell you that, uh, uh, firstly, we believe that this should be uh, a, a third-party uh, uh, task. I think that when you are operating and, and managing a vessel, that is your expertise. You are not necessarily an educator, although we'd all like to think of ourselves as that. Uh, and when it comes to doing training, I think we do to the breadth of backgrounds, uh, education levels, and experience of those involved in ship management and operation. We think those that have been uh, trained as, as educators with a good knowledge of the subject matter can probably do a better job than if this were done completely internally. We would hope to see the emergence, and perhaps uh, uh, BIMCO I know is working on this, IMO as well, uh, if we could have certain minimum standards uh, for the trainers, certifications as well, then we will know that when we retain these third-party providers that we will have uh, a syllabus which touches on all the important points and those that are providing the training having the uh, requisite level of uh, experience and background to do a good job on something as important as this. So we would love to see training uh, uh, trainers and the subject matter to have some level of standardization and to make sure that the trainers have met some minimum requirements and I'm sure that the industry can come to some guidelines on this and I think this would give every uh, owner uh, confidence when they do retain an organization that they know that uh, they will be dealing with uh, uh, an organization that has been uh, exposed to at least a minimum level of, of vetting. So our recommendation is uh, third parties, and we would hope to see some uh, standards uh, emerge for these third-party trainers. Great. I mean, what are your views on, I mean, obviously it's one thing to put the training in place, but, you know, what are your, what, what are your views on sort of penetration testing to actually, in, you know, to check whether that training is effective or not? Well, we think the, uh, the, the best evidence of that would be the uh, incident levels that uh, we see and whether the trends uh, to increases uh, do abate. But with any training, we would expect uh, not only the trainers to be certified, but we think that there should be uh, some minimal level of certification for the uh, seafarers and their managers to make sure 
that they have uh, at least a very uh, uh, solid basic concept of good cyber hygiene. So we could see that uh, uh, a cyber certification for the seafarers would make a lot of sense, and certainly those who manage seafarers to have that as well. So while, uh, you know, with every additional level of regulation, there are penalties and complications, and uh, uh, we, we just think that this is so vital that uh, owners would not be averse to it, and to make sure that there be a continuing education uh, effort as well for those who have been certified. Uh, cyber threats continue to evolve, they become more sophisticated, and therefore the training has to keep up with that. So it should not be a one and done sort of process, but something uh, where an initial effort is uh, again uh, followed by uh, a reinforcement and an updating of that knowledge set that has been imparted by the third-party trainers. So initial drive and then follow through to make sure that people are keeping pace with what's happening in this space. I mean, obviously attacks are going to happen, but you know, the way a company responds in the immediate aftermath is key, both for its customers and for its partners. Have you got any views on what makes good practice when, you know, when it comes to, to business continuity post-attack? Yes, we do. As a matter of fact, Fourth Insurance will be coming out with a new blog which talks about, uh, I think we've tentatively titled it, Five Things to Do While You're Waiting for a Cyber Event, and that's a bit tongue-in-cheek. But the first suggestion we had was to, uh, was to go to lunch, and, and that sounds quite innocent. Uh, quite innocent. How does it tie into cyber? Well, we suggest that you take your lawyer to lunch. Um, it, it does take it does take a village to respond to a, a cyber event. Uh, uh, you will need uh, a response team, which includes your lawyer to deal with the liability issues, a data expert to deal with kind of the uh, uh, restoring of your systems and research into uh, where the breakdown took place, to uh, which allowed a cyber event. And lastly, the public relations people involved in uh, reassuring your customers that uh, if there was an event that this was not indicative of any lack of commitment on your part to uh, cyber preparedness. Unfortunately, these people are, uh, are hard to find when you need them the most. And since we're dealing with cyber and the interconnectivity of, uh, uh, of systems and users, uh, if there were to be a cascading uh, event with uh, the inclusion of many uh, uh, shippers and data processing companies, uh, these people will be very, very hard to find. So we suggest you go to lunch. Uh, take your uh, attorney and talk about whether or not within their practice they have the uh, experts to deal with uh, uh, the uh, cyber liability issues, uh, public relations people are needed. You also need your uh, uh, forensic accounting people to uh, talk about their ability to uh, uh, calculate business interruption losses. So we say go to lunch. Take all these people. Let them know that they would be part of your first response team in the event that you were um, uh, uh, the victim of a cyber event. Uh, it's harder to find these people uh, when there has been an event, and if that event has affected many people, uh, they may not pick up your phone call first. So uh, we think a good first step is to go to lunch. 
I like the idea of going to lunch. Um, I think we're almost coming to the end of our half an hour. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed our chat today. Do you have any passing, any thoughts or any comments that you'd like to add which, you, which we haven't touched on, which you think people who are listening into this podcast would be interested to hear? Yes, I would uh, just like to, to speak a moment or so on the financial aspects. Again, there is no type of insurance which is going to prevent uh, a cyber incident. Uh, I think that uh, it is a good time while you're going to lunch to take your accountant as well and to find out uh, would your balance sheet sustain a cyber event uh, to do some uh, estimates as to what a data breach might cost your company and then to investigate uh, uh, what the insurance markets would offer to you if you think you might want to transfer this risk uh, financially. Uh, The markets are tolerating uh, greater volumes. We have more carriers coming in than ever. It's also a good time to sit down with your broker and to see what cyber coverages are already embedded within your programs. And at the very least, take a look at a cyber insurance application, even if you have no interest. I think you'll learn a lot from the questions that are asked, and that's a good basis for going back and imagining how you would respond and what you could tell an underwriter about your uh, existing cyber hygiene practices. We think it's a a good way to take the first steps towards uh, uh, being cyber aware and uh, uh, making your company cyber sure. So after you've gone to lunch, uh, read a a cyber insurance application and talk to your uh, financial consultants about your ability to sustain a risk uh, uh, and and whether a uh, cyber event uh, would be something that you could afford or is a risk better transferred to a third party? No, I have to agree. I mean, the financial considerations are absolutely huge. I mean, in the World Economic Forum's um, risk assessment report that was published in January, they project that the costs to business on cyber attacks is going to reach $5 trillion in the next five years. So there are definitely financial costs to consider. Stephen, I've really enjoyed our call. I'm going to hand us back to, to Nicola Bonosis of Capital Link. Thank you so much for, for, for participating. Thank you to both of you, and uh, thank you very much for an amazing podcast. Uh, we have now reached the end of our discussion, and I would like to thank both Stephen and Nicola for their insight and for the very interesting and detailed discussion that uh, they had. And also special thanks to IHS for uh, sponsoring and conducting the podcast today. Uh, This podcast is available on Capital Link's website at www.capitallinkpodcasts.com and also it is available on iTunes and Google Play. And in closing, I'd like to remind everybody that Capital Link aims to bring you weekly podcasts on critical topics for the shipping industry, discussing with industry leaders and decision makers as we did today. Thank you very much to everybody.